on today's episode. He said, I've never seen a place torn up like this place. Where are your parents? My mother says I've been telling stories since I was three years old. At that age, the stories were often called lies. <laughs> all kinds of tales. From all kinds of tellers. Here on The Appleseed. Welcome to The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from favorite storytellers. They'll entertain you, inspire you, they'll get you thinking, and even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne. First up today, a storyteller who has been so beloved for so long that he's often called the Dean of Storytelling. It's the North Carolina storyteller, Donald Davis. And if you've ever felt like you were a little too mature to need a babysitter, well, this is a story for you. And if you've ever gotten something you wished for and then immediately regretted it, well, this is a story for you. And if you've ever been a little too worked up, maybe, by something you saw on TV, well, this is a story for you, too. Here's Donald Davis with the story Getting Rid of the Babysitter, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. When I was a little boy, and, and even when my brother, my brother who's uh, almost three years younger, when he was little, we never really had a babysitter because our mother was with us all the time. And if our mother wasn't with us, we were probably at our grandmother's house. But when I got to the second grade and my little brother Joe was old enough to go to kindergarten, my mother, who had not taught school from the time I was born till we both went to school, she was going to go back to teaching again. And so once in a while, we needed a babysitter. Well, up the road from where we lived, there lived this little old lady named Miss Annie McIntosh. And Miss Annie became our once-in-a-while babysitter. She was old. I mean, she could have been 50. She was probably, though, closer to 80. And she had this little old 39 Chevy that she drove. And sometimes she'd come to our house, and sometimes we'd go to her house. And we loved it when we would go to her house because since she was an old lady, she took naps. <laughs> and when she took naps, we could prowl all over her house. It had an attic, it had upstairs, it had downstairs, it had a basement. We could just go everywhere, and we just loved it. But we began to get older. And as we began to get older, we got to that age where we didn't want to have a babysitter anymore. And we tried to explain that to our mother and daddy, but our mother was not very smart. <laughs> and she just kept calling the babysitter. Well, <clears throat> one of the things we, we loved about going up to Miss Annie's house was, uh, but beside her house, she had a little garage apartment. And there was a man who lived there who was a policeman. He was actually the assistant police chief. His name was Robert Lewis Fitzgerald. He was not married, and he would drive a police car home. And when we go to her house, he let us play in the police car. He would show us how to mash a button that would go, wow, 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 wow. 
We could play with these, you know, spotlights on either side of the car, and he would fix a microphone so we could talk, and our voice would come out through the, you know, through the front of the car, and we could turn the light on on top, and and it was great fun playing playing with the policeman in the police car. He was fairly young, so and he didn't have any kids, so he liked playing with us too. Well, um, we got to that age. And we started telling our mother, you know, we're, we're too old for a babysitter. We don't need a babysitter anymore. And our mother just kept saying, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. And we kept having to put up with having a babysitter. Well, one day my mother said, now, boys, tonight, your daddy and I are going over to the Nesbitt's house. We're going to have supper, and they're going to have some more friends there, and we're going to be there for a little while. And we've called Miss Annie to come and be your babysitter while we're gone. Well, my little brother said, we don't need her. Now, my little brother was a little bit like my Uncle Frank in that he also was born without a lid to go on his mouth. And sometimes my mother would just let my little brother's mouth run to see what was going to come out of it. And so instead of arguing with him, she said, what do you mean by that? He said, she's too old to be a babysitter. (laughs) My mother said, really? My brother said, she can't make us do anything. If we do what she says, it's because we want to, not because we're scared of her. (laughs) And my mother said, really? And my brother said, yes, really? She is so old that nothing on her even works but her mouth. (laughs) And I can outrun her. (laughs) And my mother just laughed and said, well, we'll see about that. Well, we had our supper early, and then in a little while, here came Miss Annie. She was coming down to our house to stay with us. She came in her little Chevy, and she parked in front of the house, and she came inside, and she talked a little bit with my mom and daddy, and they left. And she said, well, boys, you've had your supper. Would you like to hear a nice story? Do you want me to read to you before you go to bed? And my little brother said, stories are stupid. We're too old for stories. We can read for ourselves. You don't need to read to us. She said, well, then, what do you boys want to do? Because it's not quite time to go to bed. And we said, we want to watch television because we had our first ever brand new television. We got only one channel. (laughs) Channel 13 in Asheville, North Carolina. So we didn't spend a lot of time finding out there was nothing to watch. (laughs) So we went over and we turned on the television. And do you know, there was a special program about the circus. And we started watching that show about the circus. And it was just wonderful. They came out, and they would swing on the trapeze and fly through the air and catch each other and fly through the air. And my little brother looked up, and he said, I wish I could do that. (laughs) 
And then they came out and they walked on the tight wire, you know, back and forth, keeping balance and balance. And my little brother said, oh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> and then a man came out on a little kind of motorbike and he got inside a big ball that looked like it was made out of wire. And he rode around and around inside the ball. And my brother almost cried. He said, oh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> And then acrobats came running out and they just were flipping through the air and flipping through the air and flipping through the air and flipping through the air. And all of a sudden, my brother just said, we can do that. <laughs> and we started playing circus while we watched the program right then. They would flip through the air and we would flip through the air and, and they would run and jump and we would run and jump. And pretty soon we had all the cushions from all the furniture in the living room and the floor. And we were going down the hall, and we would run down the hall and jump in the air and land on a cushion and flip over and land on the other side. And then we would watch a little bit more the acrobats to get more ideas so we could do even more. And all of a sudden, here came my little brother running down the hall. He had taken off his shoes and socks so he wouldn't slip on the floor. And he took a great leap in the air, and he landed on the cushion on his hands with his feet up in the air, and the cushion slipped. And he fell over sideways, and he hit the table, and he knocked my mother's brand new four-and-a-half book S&H green stamps lamp off of that table. <laughs> and it went bam against the wall, and it hit the floor, and the light went out, but it didn't break. And Miss Annie said, well, boys, that's enough circus. It is now time to go to bed. And my little brother looked at her and he went <laughs> and took off running toward the other end of the house. She did not go after him. She just reached down and picked up her pocketbook, hung it over her arm, walked out the door of our house, got in her car, and left. And my brother and I danced around. We won, we won. We got rid of a babysitter. We won, we won. And we proceeded to totally turn the house into the absolute circus. We would turn chairs upside down and run up the back of the chair and flip off the other side. We got on top of the dining room table and we pretended that crack, you know, where you could pull it over, that that was the tight wire. And we were walking back and forth on the crack on the table. And my little brother got hold of the curtains and he said, I'm going to swing across the room. <laughs> and right then, there was a knock at the door. And my brother Joe ran to the door, and I went over and looked out the window. And when I looked out the window, there parked in front of our house was a police car with the light going around on the top. And my little brother opened the door, and there stood Robert Louis Fitzgerald with his gun out. <laughs> And we said, what do you want? <laughs> and he said, where are your parents? We said, well, what are you here for? What do you want? He said, uh, well, we just had a report that somebody is wrecking the Davis's house. <laughs> where are your parents? I said, what do you need them for? 
He said, well, so I can put them in jail <laughs> for leaving children at home without anybody to watch them. By then he was in our house looking around. He said, I've never seen a place torn up like this place. Where are your parents? He said, look, I've got two pairs of handcuffs, one for each one of them. They're going to have to go to jail for this. And my little brother says, don't put my mom in jail. She doesn't know what to do in jail. I don't know about my daddy. <laughs> he said, well, they left you without a babysitter. That's what I got to do. Unless you boys got another idea. My little brother said, well, I really like it when Miss Annie McIntosh gets to be my babysitter. <laughs> he said, well, let me call her and see if she might be able to come. And he picked up our telephone. By the time he finished that call, we had the house fixed back better than it was to start with. <laughs> And as he drove away, here she came back in her little Chevy. She came in the door and she said, well, boys, you want to watch some more television? My brother said, no, it's no good. <laughs> what we'd like is a story. <laughs> and, we, and, and then I said, is it okay to go to bed now? Because we got real tired. <laughs> And we both got in our beds, and she came in our room and sat between us, and, and she read us a story. I have no idea what that story was about, because <laughs> I was just sitting there trying to imagine my mother in handcuffs. <laughs> well, finally, our parents came home, and I knew there were going to be a lot of questions, and so I thought, I'm just going to let my little brother handle these questions. <laughs> because he likes for his mouth to run. <laughs> My mother said, well, boys, how'd you get along? He said, just fine. <laughs> she said, uh, did you watch television, the new television? Did you watch a program? He said, not much. It wasn't any good. <laughs> uh, Miss Annie read us a story. We asked her to read us a story. We like stories. <laughs> it was a real good story. My mother said, oh, well, what was it about? I had no idea. <laughs> My brother said, it was about these two little boys. They almost got in trouble, but not quite. <laughs> well, that old lady was our babysitter till we were both graduated from high school. <laughs> but the important thing I got to learn way early in life when some people don't learn it till it's almost too late. And that is this. If you are messing with an old lady, it doesn't matter if nothing on her works but her mouth. You are going to lose. <laughs> Thank you. 
Donald Davis with Getting Rid of the Babysitter, a story told live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience. I love that story. You know, stories have this wonderful way of sprouting like seeds and growing as the stories bring up thoughts that grow into conversations. Maybe that's why we call the show The Appleseed. We're going to follow that Donald Davis story up with a story from Lynn Ford, a story that involves a cat who causes even more living room destruction. Or maybe it wasn't the cat after all. That's coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. You know, as we listen to that Donald Davis story, it brought back memories for me of babysitters, a pair of twins, Nicole and Michelle Keller. They used to come over and babysit my brother and me during the summer while my mom was at work. Like the story we heard from Donald Davis, television played a big role in my memories of those babysitters of mine. Those twins, Nicole and Michelle Keller, got my brother and me hooked on General Hospital, the soap opera. Imagine that, just me and my little brother, little kids watching General Hospital just about every day with their babysitters. What about you? Do you have a memory of a babysitter that left an impression on on you? If you do, we invite you to share those memories with your loved ones the next time you're together around the kitchen table or the living room. That kind of storytelling can create memories that last a lifetime. And stories from these great storytellers always bring up memories for me. We've got one more story for you today from the wonderful Ohio storyteller Lynn Ford. It's a story about how even at age three, she was already finding her calling as a storyteller, though her earliest stories might have been less than true. Here's Lynn Ford with a tale she calls My First Story, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I'm so excited to share stories with you, but this is not something new for me. My mother says I've been telling stories since I was three years old. At that age, the stories were often called lies. (laughs) And I was very good at telling them, but they didn't get me out of trouble. Because at that age, I didn't understand that even a made-up story has to make sense. (laughs) Now, I was a very sickly baby, and I spent a lot of time in the hospital up until the time I was almost four. I'm partially deaf in my right ear because of the illnesses I had. But make no mistake, that also means I'm partially hearing. Just depends on your attitude about the whole thing. And I had learned to read people's lips and watch their faces and their body language for what I didn't hear with my right ear. So I already had storytelling skills in place. Now, according to my mother, who is 96 years old and never forgot anything I did that was wrong, I'd come home from the hospital and I wasn't allowed to play with the other children. This was in Appalachian, Pennsylvania. And across the street from our house was a cornfield. And that street was actually a road, a brick road, with the bricks kind of this way and that way and wibbly and wobbly so cars didn't use our street. You could play outside all day long, and when somebody whistled or hollered for you, that's when you came in. I wasn't allowed to do that 
because I had one more visit with my doctor, Dr. Woods, a very sweet man. And if he said everything was healthy, I could play with other children. My mother said I crossed my arms, poked out my lip, glared at her, <laughs> and said, I want to go outside and play. She said, well, you can't, honey. One more visit. Don't want to wait one more visit. Want to go outside and play right now. Listen to your mother. I'm trying to make sure you don't get sick again. Don't want to listen to my mother. Want to go outside and play right now. Are you yelling at your mother? No, ma'am. <laughs> one more visit. Just one more visit. And she said I went from being my angry self to my pitiful, pouty self. And neither one worked on my mother. <laughs> but mommy... <laughs> All the children in the whole wide world are playing outside. They're running in the cornfield. <laughs> I want to go outside and play. <laughs> My mother said, shut up. Because there really weren't any tears, I was just making noise. And as I said, my mother didn't fall for any of that. And she said, well, you could do something with me. We could clean something. <laughs> I don't want to clean anything. I want to go outside and play. Well, you could play with your grandma. No, I can't. <laughs> I cannot play with grandma. She's old. Keep in mind, I'm about the age my grandma was then. And we can play. We just can't get up off the floor as quickly. I said, Grandma does not know how to play anymore. She won't run around the dining room table and slide underneath it on her belly button. She says she's going to break something. She won't jump up and down on the bed, see if she could hit her head on the ceiling. She said, that don't make no sense, and she's going to break something. I can't play with Grandma. I need to be out with the children. My mother said she gave up and said, find something to do yourself. I have work to do. She said she didn't even get to the kitchen door from the living room before she heard a sound. She came back to the living room door, and now I was in the middle of the room looking as sweet and innocent as I possibly could, which let her know something was wrong. <laughs> She looked around and saw a crack in her lamp on the table. And she asked the question that only needs a nonfiction answer. Two words, you've all heard them. What happened? My mother said, I told her, I didn't do it. <laughs> she said, you didn't do what? I said, I didn't put the crack in that lamp. <laughs> well, if you didn't put the crack in the lamp, how do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I didn't do it. Lynette Jean Cooper, when they say your whole name, you're going to die. <laughs> so I went from my gruff face to my pitiful face, and she asked again what happened, and she said that's when she knew I was the next storyteller in the family, fourth-generation storyteller. It wasn't me. I wasn't over there by that lamp. I was all the way over by the door. 
I was going to reach out and get the mail when Mr. Mitch, the mailman, came and I was going to bring it in the house and put it on the kitchen table for my grandmother and my mother because I like to do things to help other people. <laughs> but when I opened up the door just a little bit to see if the mail was there, the cat ran in the house. And the cat started running around and around and around in the living room. And I tried to catch the cat, but I'm too little and I've been sick. <laughs> and then the cat started jumping up and down on the sofa and bouncing in and out of the chairs. And the cat jumped and he bumped the lamp and the lamp fell over and it hit the wall. And when it hit the wall, it cracked just a little bit, but I didn't do that. It was the cat. That's all that happened. <laughs> And my mother said she was kind of proud of me because I hadn't said very much when I came home from the hospital, maybe a few days before. You see, I had a speech impediment because I didn't hear effectively. And I was still trying to figure out how to put the sounds and the words together. And I knew when people teased me or laughed at me, so I didn't say much. And when I was angry, I didn't talk at all, and I'd been angry for days. And here I was telling a story with a beginning, a middle, kind of a shaky ending. <laughs> it had action and adventure characterization, good things for your storytelling. But there was a problem with this story. I was smart enough to tell it, but we didn't even have a cat. <laughs> and I hadn't thought about that. So my payment for my very first tall tale was to sit in the corner and think about what I had done. And apparently I thought I did a good job telling that story. You see, now I get paid for what put me in the corner when I was three years old. It's a matter of figuring out what your gifts are and using them in an effective way. And my gift is that I I'm a storyteller. That was Lynn Ford with My First Story. Thanks for joining us today on The Appleseed, and thanks to Donald Davis and Lynn Ford for sharing their stories. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where did the stories take you, and who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Our audio engineer is Carly Wilson. Trent Horton, Natalia Reeve, Hannah Harlan, and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. If you want to send us a note, you can email us at theappleseed at byu.edu. Or if you're listening through a podcast app, rate us. Leave us a little review. It helps people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Appleseed.